A recent Forbes survey said that about one in four members of Gen Z would like to become an influencer. If you don't know, an influencer are people who, they make reels and short videos online and get a lot of people to follow their uh, advice or buy the products that they, you know, endorse, among other things. But be a thought leader or a, a product endorser. That's what a, about a fourth of Gen Z would like to be. Now, if you go up a generation to my generation, I'm one of the oldest millennials. By the way, if, when you talk about those kids in the workplace, you know, those millennials, just remember that the oldest millennials are in their 40s now. So it's not the kids anymore. You're thinking about Gen Z. But for millennials, it's not much better. Four out of five millennials thinks that becoming rich is one of their top two life goals. And about half of us aspire to become famous. Now, becoming rich and famous and well-known is not new to any recent generations. We've always talked about fortune and glory. We've wanted to, to have notoriety. But we all know that social media has amplified this effect. Social ma- media has made it difficult not to want to become famous and well-known. Because we look at everything out there. and It's not, it's not as though our lives are bad necessarily it's just they're so they're so ordinary and we look at everyone else and we compare their vacations to our vacations and we compare their house to our house and we compare their social life to our social life and when we do that i don't know it just we just can't help feeling like our life is pretty blah sometimes it's just it's just ordinary it's normal it's not bad it's just not remarkable I want to be like those people. I want to be well-known. I want the status. That's what social media has done to us. So I I am a big fan of Christmas decorations and all the pageantry and pomp and circumstance that happens. But let's be honest. All of what we do around Christmas in our era sometimes masks the fact that the birth of Jesus was a pretty ordinary event. It was less remarkable than we sometimes make it. Now, its effects were remarkable, but the event itself was pretty plain. So we're in this series talking about how God is with us, using the name Emmanuel. God is with us. We've talked about how God is with us in failure, and we've talked about how God is with us in disappointment. What about just everyday life, when things seem ordinary and unremarkable? We're going to pick up in the Gospel of Luke right where we left off last week. Last week we were in the first part of chapter 2. And we left that story off where Jesus is wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. That's where the story left. We're going to pick it up in chapter 2 beginning in about verse 8. Luke continues the story and he says, There were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. So the next characters we meet are shepherds. These are not high-status people. They're not even Matthew's wise men with all their expensive gifts. They're just shepherds. They're nobodies. If we go way back in the Old Testament with Joseph and Pharaoh, Joseph was a Hebrew who made his way through the Egyptian social ranks to become Pharaoh's right-hand man, administering a great food program during a famine. 
Well, later on, Joseph's father and brothers come to join him in Egypt. And Joseph is trying to figure out how to, how to get them there without any problems. They're foreigners, and they might not be accepted. So Joseph has this plan as to how to get the Egyptians to accept his family. He says, I'll say to Pharaoh, these men are shepherds. They tend livestock. Yes, we got it the first time. They're shepherds. Overemphasis. They're shepherds. You know, the shepherds that tend livestock. Yes, we know. And then he says, you know, hey, dad and brothers, when Pharaoh asks you what you do, you say to him, well, your servants, we have tended livestock from our boyhood on, just as our fathers did. Then, he tells them, you'll be allowed to settle in the region of Goshen, for all shepherds are detestable to the Egyptians. Not that great to be a shepherd. They are abominations to many people. Shepherding is what Moses does when he needs to flee. He, he kills an Egyptian to defend his people and he goes away and what he does in the meantime is just shepherding like he wants to stay off the grid shepherds in the first century coming back to luke's day they're low social status they can't even testify in court because their testimony holds no value they're they're below even joseph and mary on the social ladder and so we find them spending out spending all night in the fields because it's lambing season which means it's probably spring and they're just out there. You know they're just having a normal conversation. You know, hey, did you catch the game last night? Yeah, I caught the game. Wasn't that interesting? Hey, it's, uh, you know, you think, you think the boss is going to give us bonuses this year for Christmas or just, you know, the jelly of the month club? I don't know. You know, one of them's like, hey, what's Christmas? That hasn't happened yet. So. It's, just, it's just guys. They're just hanging out in the field doing their job. So what happens next? Well, an angel appears, and the glory of the Lord shines around them, and they are terrified. And the angel says to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people. So the shepherds here, they have the same reaction to seeing an angel as Zechariah did. They are terrified. Now again, I think the shepherds have an excuse Zechariah, like he's clergy. If anybody should know what to do with an angel, you would think it's him. It's not, but the shepherds are scared. And the angel says, I have good news. It's going to cause great joy for all the people. And for Luke, when he says all the people, he doesn't just mean every being on earth. Luke talks about all the people as a specific group. And they are those who are not the elite. If you go read Acts 1 through 5, when Luke talks about the people, that's distinct from the priests and the Sadducees and other elite members of society. He's saying it's good news for all the folks. All the regular women and men. It's good news for them, not just for the powerful, not just for the extraordinary. This is good news for the plain folks. So what is this good news, angel, that you've come to bring? The angel says, here's the good news. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord, and this will be a sign to you. Okay, this is going to be big, right? Because he, he gives all three titles. We've got a Savior, Messiah, and Lord. They've all been born, and all of those titles in one the only time Luke uses all those in the same sentence. So this is a big deal. Okay, what is the sign that will accompany this big deal? It's going to be great. What is it? You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. 
That's it? You would think for a sign for the Savior and the Messiah and the Lord, come on, how about some fireworks? You know, how about a big choir? How about a light and a drone show? Something. A baby in a feeding trough? That's the sign? That is about as ordinary as it can get. And then Luke tells us after the announcement, a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel. And they were praising God, saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. So Mary got one angel in her announcement. Joseph just got a dream of one. The shepherds get a whole host of them. The shepherds. They get a host of angels. So here's this great company that appears. They're singing the hallelujah chorus. And who is it that harks the herald angels singing? It's just these guys out in the field. It's just these shepherds. These nobodies. They get the host of angels who are declaring peace and prosperity. That's what Rome does when a new emperor is born. This is the one who will bring peace and prosperity. But here, it's announced not in the palace halls, but just out in the field. It's not announced to the elite, but to the shepherds. Not to the great, but just to the ordinary. So in the aftermath, the angels leave. Shepherds go to Bethlehem. They see the baby, this sign. They spread the word. Everyone's amazed. And then we just get back to business. On the eighth day, Luke tells us, when it was time to circumcise the child, he was named Jesus. What every kid does at this period of time. Just back to normal life. And then I find this next part remarkable. Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now Luke Luke helps Joseph and Mary save a little bit of their reputation here. Because Luke tells us that they offered the sacrifice in accordance with the law. And they did. But the law is a little more expansive. If you go read Leviticus, when you have a baby, there are two options for what you sacrifice. The first and preferred option is a lamb. But then Leviticus says, if she, the mother, cannot afford a lamb... She is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burnt offering and the other for a sin offering. Joseph and Mary have to offer the option B of sacrifices because they can't afford option A. So let's just recap this story about the Savior of the world. He's born into a manger, a feeding trough, He's surrounded by animals. He's announced to shepherds. He's dedicated with the substandard sacrifice. And later in life, you know, he sneaks away from his parents and gets in trouble. And he just works in the family business. That's the savior of the world? That seems pretty ordinary to me. Not the story we would write. But this is not just happening in the Jesus story. All through scripture, this is what we find. Let's take Paul, for instance, the author of much of your New Testament, follower of Jesus. Paul degraded himself a lot. He says he's the least of the apostles. 
He's the least of the saints. He's the worst sinner, and he's not a very good speaker. But Paul says, I'm, I'm pretty ordinary. I might have some training that was valuable, but I'm just pretty normal. I'm not that great at all these things. You and I feel this tension. We feel it in a world that calls us not just to be excellent at what we do, but to become famous and get attention and get clicks and likes and accolades. That's what we find. And we look out there and we think that's the key to success. It's fame and notoriety. I don't want to just be normal. I don't want to just keep my head down and go about by business. We are in a world of excellence and braggadocio and fame. And that's what we seek. Now, I don't know what it's like in your world, in your occupation, in your family, in your social scene. I can just tell you what it's like even for ministers and church leaders. Give, give, give you a window into our world. You know, during COVID, everyone went church shopping online. And so all of us got input. Hey, could our, our live stream look like their live stream? Can we make it better? Ooh, I really like that speaker. They're way better than the one I'm used to. We felt that. There's a lot of pressure to do something different. And you'll hear people say, oh, you know, you're just a local church minister. Why don't you get yourself a platform? Why don't you pastor the internet? You know, no thank you, by the way. So there's a quote I read several years ago in a book by Scott McKnight, his book called Pastor Paul. It was a great comfort to me. And there's some specific things about it that I took to heart, but there's some general principles I, I hope that are are useful to you as well. Here's the quote. He's, he, he's talking to ministers as to what to say to their church. He says, tell them that Andy Stanley's a better preacher. By the way, Andy Stanley's a better preacher. I'm okay with that. Tell them that N.T. Wright's writings are more compelling. Tell them you're ordinary, and ordinary is okay because God loves the ordinary too. Tell them that your sermon get, sermons get lots of steam from scholars you don't always mention, some that you don't know at all. There's a lot of competition today among preachers and authors, and it's a fool's game to try to win it. Be faithful. Forget being great. Be faithful. Forget being great. I wonder if that resonates with you as well. This is the arc of Scripture. Ordinary people, not the great famous things that matter most to God. A low-born savior, a plain-spoken writer and author of much of the New Testament. So what does Paul say about this? In 1 Corinthians, Paul says, God chose the foolish things of the world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of this world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are, so that no one may boast before him. That phrase he uses there, the word lowly, it just means lowborn. We've got to call back to Jesus. It's the lowborn, the base things. Now, this is not the same as mediocre. The Bible is not calling us to give a halfway effort to things that we do. It's about saying, your efforts should be great, but you might not get the recognition or the status or the fame from that that you would want. And we have to be okay with that because that is not our mission as followers of Jesus to always be great and extraordinary and stand out and get lots of attention. Moses 
was not an eloquent speaker. Gideon had a sketchy family background. King David was small. Ruth had the wrong nationality. Peter was a bombastic fisherman who often spoke and then decided to think about it. Nobody who gets chosen to do work for the Lord in Scripture had the pedigree to back it up. None of them were. The closest followers of Jesus were a lot of fishermen. This is who God picks. He doesn't go after those with a lot of fame and notoriety and with all the resumes to match it. That's not who God's after. He's after the ordinary people. You know, Augustus Caesar, who was, who was over the Roman Empire when Jesus was born, he never heard of Jesus Christ. But within that century, Augustus' successors, the later Caesars, they were trying to kill Jesus' followers and, and get rid of that movement. We went from a nobody to a movement that was a threat to the Roman Empire. That's a big deal. So when you, you, know, when you see a manger on a card or in a nativity scene, look at it, but don't stop there. Think about what that lowly manger points to. It's an ordinary baby who's already being called the king of the world. So in your world, when you feel absolutely ordinary, when no one's paying attention to you and you're not getting the fame and fortune and you just feel like your life, it's not bad, it's just normal. You are exactly the kind of person who can be used to do great things by God. That's what the story of Jesus points us to. So so about being famous... The most ordinary birth story ever told led the way to the most famous person who ever lived. How about that? Let's stand and sing.